0: The Insurance and Injury Law Show. We are back toll-free anytime the phone call one 990 9646 or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Savan, good to see you again, buddy. We've got a lot of stuff to cover today, a lot of questions, uh, some emails as well, and some valuable information when it comes to disability, uh, disability law and everything under that particular umbrella. You want to go to fightformyltd.com, by the way. I want to plug that before you use it as an example, LTD case assessment. Again, fightformyltd.com. Check it out if you've got a few minutes while you're Listening to the show today, what do you got going on, man? What's first? Hey, John. It's
1: great to be here again another week. Yep. Uh, Tons of uh, cases that uh, have come my way this week. So let me choose a few interesting scenarios that we can uh, talk to our listeners to. One is a question that comes to our website, Mm mydisabilityquestions.com. Free website. If you have questions about disabilities, injuries, post your question. You'll get an answer within minutes from me for free. So here's a question. This one comes from Anna in Hamilton. She writes, I fell on city property sidewalk and ended up with nerve damage to my legs in 2016, on April 27, 2016. Can I go after the city? I'm on CPP and I'm starving on $575 a month and I can't work due to this. John, what's the answer here? 2016 was the injury. We are now... A few years later, 2018, the end of 2018. Past the old two-year mark. Past the two-year mark. That's right. Remember, if you are injured in Ontario, you have two years from the date of the incident to start a legal claim. There are some exceptions, but this is not one of them. Clearly, she knew that she was injured on April 27, 2016. Plus, wouldn't
0: she have had 10 days to alert the city clerk? Good
1: job, John. Absolutely. Damn, that decree coming in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, John? I'm just going to step out. You that's can do the show for me. I All think right. you, you know All everything right. now there is to know about this. That's it. You're yeah. absolutely right. Under the Municipal Act, yeah. that's the legislation. You can Google it, okay? If you want to check me on this, uh, there is there is a a section in the Municipal Act that states that if you are injured on city property, like a sidewalk, right, uh, you have ten days to notify the city clerk of the city where you fell of the injury and of your intention to potentially start a claim. It has to be in writing. You know, you have to be very careful with not missing that deadline. Now, again, there are exceptions to this, right? Like what happens if you have a very severe injury, you're in the hospital, you're unable to notify the city clerk. Well, you know, we can deal with those kinds of circumstances, but Generally speaking, you have 10 days, if you have fallen on a city sidewalk, Mm -hmm. to notify the city clerk that you're going to start a claim and give them the particulars so they can go check the conditions on that sidewalk. So very important. So this lady, unfortunately, is out of time to start a legal claim. What's the lesson here? If you are injured in Ontario, car accident, slip and fall, trip and fall, bike accident, cottage accident, whatever, you're injured, you want to make a legal claim for compensation under the law you have 2 years don't wait those 2 years don't even wait 2 months you should be contacting us asap as soon as you can. i mean get medical attention first but make sure you contact us so we can guide you through the process so we can tell you what you need to do to protect your rights and please 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 do not deal with insurance adjusters by yourself Okay, I see this all the time as well, John.
0: You know, you mentioned there as well, uh, alerting the city so they can go and check out the sidewalk. Side note, especially this time of year, always wise if something happens in that regard, especially with ice that doesn't stick around forever, take pictures while you're there on site. Everyone's got a cell phone, snap some pics.
1: Absolutely. In fact, not just pics, take some video. Sure. Right? I mean, take those and keep those because I guarantee you, if you slipped and fell on ice, I mean, we're coming into the winter season now, Mm I guarantee you that the winter maintenance contractor is going to produce some records down the road. I say records in quotes. Right. And they're going to show or try to show that they actually had maintained that area, put salt or swept it or whatever, put sand on it. Sure. Just an hour or 15 minutes or whatever it is before you fell. If you actually are able to take photos or have someone go to that area where you fell, where the injury happened, and snap some photos or videos and keep those Those are essentially contemporaneous, contemporaneous evidence. Mm -hmm. There can be no argument. It doesn't matter what the records from the winter maintenance contractor shows. We can see clearly on the photos that the area was dangerous. Therefore, you're going to be entitled to legal compensation, monetary compensation.
0: want to give you the heads up as well, starting early January 2019. Looking forward to this. The Global TV is where we're heading with In Your Corner, a show about injury and disability law. Again, it's going to be happening as of January of next year, 2019. Sundays at 8.30 in the morning, so make sure you uh, you catch that. Still got a couple minutes here, I think, before we break. uh, What else you got going on? John, let's talk about quickly about a case that came through my desk. Um, This is a long-term
1: disability case. So this individual, this lady, was denied LTD. She has a copy of the denial letter, uh, which which she she gave us. And the reason for the denial for her disability claim was not, the insurance company said she didn't have enough documentation to support her disability. And she was in the process, when she contacted us, of appealing that denial. The nature of her disability is that she's got major depression, PTSD, anxiety, chronic fatigue. She was actually, John, a bystander here in Toronto when that van attack occurred. Right, no kidding. And so she's got wow. PTSD from that. I mean, you can imagine yeah, why. Absolutely. She has a psychiatrist. She has a family doctor, therapist, all of who are saying that she is disabled from working. She's unable to go to work because of these psychological issues. And the insurance company says, Sorry we're not going to pay you a dime we're denying your claim that is outrageous absolutely outrageous and and you know it's a good thing she contacted us now because she's in the process of trying to appeal that denial hmm. don't appeal long term disability denials it's going to lead you nowhere in my experience it will lead you nowhere yeah. instead she's done the right thing she's contacted us we're going to review the medical documentation the support from her doctors from her psychologist Uh, family doctor, etc. And we're going to tell her literally within a few minutes if she has a case or not. And I can tell you, John, just based on the description of what she's experiencing and the support she has from the individuals who are treating her, she has a case. And she can challenge the insurance company. Just not through an appeal. Don't appeal. Let us start a legal claim and I'm telling you, within a matter of months, we're going to be able to start talking with the insurance company about resolving the case.
0: Get on it. Here's the phone number, toll free, one Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Insurance Injury Law Show. Taking a short break right back. Hang on. The insurance and injury law show the number toll free one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. You can email as well. Good option help at the insurance And starting early January two thousand nineteen, couple months. Can't wait for it. We are taking the show in a condensed 30-minute version to TV. In your corner, we'll be on Global Sundays at 8.30 a.m. Looking forward to that. Before we get to some questions and emails, you got some more stuff you want to uh, to cover, right?
1: Yeah, one more thing. Mm-hmm. So we had this individual who, who called us. He, he listened to the show, and I, I guess he heard a segment where I talked about CPP disability yep. and why, if you are on long-term disability, you should be applying for CPP disability as well. And you know, we'll talk about that a bit later, but he actually took issue with that. He said to our, the people he spoke with at my firm that I was misleading the public, telling them, you know, why should you, if you're on long-term disability, why should you have to apply for CPP disability? It's the insurance company, the long-term insurer, uh, disability insurer, who should be paying you 100% of whatever it is uh. that they owe you. And again, you know, he used very, very strong words Said we were misleading the public. We are not misleading the public. Insurance companies have every right to demand not to ask, to demand that you apply for CPP disability, because in the vast majority, in fact, in every long-term insurance policy I have seen, there is usually a provision in there that states that you have to apply. Now, why do they have that provision? Because insurance companies know that if you get CPP disability- It lessens their burden. It lessens their burden. In other words, you're not getting CPP disability plus the full amount that you're entitled to from your LTD insurer, you are getting sustainability the and then the remainder. Of course exactly. you're of course so you're the insurer gets it. a deduction. Exactly. Yeah. So the response to this gentleman was We're not misleading anyone. If you don't want to do that, that's okay. But here's what's going to happen mm-hmm. the insurance company is going to take the position that you are in breach of the policy. They may not cut you off, but what they may do is estimate how much they think you should be getting and then reduce your monthly benef- uh, uh, benefits by that amount. So you're going to get stuck. Now, why should you apply for CPP disability? There's a variety of reasons for that. It's a good one. Let me just mention one in particular. Yep. If you get CPP disability, remember, to get CPP disability, you have to prove to the government that your disability is severe and prolonged. If the government recognizes that you have a disability that's severe and prolonged, it's that much more difficult for right. your insurance company to deny you coverage or to cut you off at a later date. That's not to say they won't do it but it gives you extra ammunition. Sure. And if they cut you off and we have to fight them, it gives you another source of income directly from the government that you can rely there's on. There's really no while negative to it.
0: There's no negative to it. Yeah. To you, there's no negative
1: to
0: it. Right. Yeah. 1-888-990-9646 or help at the um, I'm going to throw this at you. Top three mistakes you should avoid uh, when dealing with your long-term disability adjuster. What do you think they would be?
1: All right. Throat, uh, 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 top three mistakes that I, I see often. So right. first of all, uh, you know, letting your guard down and treating the adjuster as your friend. Oh, yeah. I can't tell you how many times, John, people have contacted me who have been denied or cut off. No, not been denied. They've been cut off long-term disability after receiving payments for a few months or a few years. And they're telling me, you know, at the beginning, the adjuster so was nice. so nice, was like friendly. Yeah, exactly. For we were chatting yep. about our families yep. and they were so, you know, helpful. And then, you know, as time progressed, they became more distant. They became more demanding. And at some point, they actually became rude to me. It's like a bad marriage. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, maybe I'll not that far. For yeah, then. right. Uh, so you know, y- y- do not let your guard down when dealing right. with the adjuster. The adjuster is not your okay. friend. Okay, don't share secrets with the adjuster. Don't think that the, it's you and the adjuster against the insurance company. No, that's a that's an interesting angle. People will overtalk when they get comfortable, right? They will yeah. overtalk, and frankly, that's part of the strategy here. Listen, right. some adjusters, I, a lot of adjusters, I, I know, I know many of them. They're very nice human beings, and they're very good human beings. But remember, they have a job to do. And they're good at it. O- yes. Their overlord is the insurance company, their employer. Okay, That's who they're trying to satisfy. Smart. So be very careful. Let's say, for example, that you know, you're just speaking with the adjuster because you're friends now. Uh, everything is going well. And you let it slip that, you know, you took that vacation to the Caribbean mm-hmm. a month ago when the policy, the insurance policy that governs your LTD relationship right. states that you're not allowed to go out of the country. Right. You without You send them notifying. some pics. Oops. Exactly. Can you imagine what's going to happen there? The adjuster right. is immediately going, and rightfully so. going to feast on it. Imme- immediately yeah. going to yeah. tell you you have breached your policy and you've now <sighs> compromised coverage, which means you're going to be cut off benefits. So be very careful. Number two, second top mistake that I see people make. They're not confirming conversations in writing. Again, very important. If you are having some kind of a substantial conversation with the adjuster, whether it's about your progress or your rehabilitation or your limitations, restrictions, whatever it is, make sure that you send a quick email afterwards to the adjuster to memorialize the conversation. Nice. This is especially true if you are starting to get, you know, your spidey sense is telling you, that the insurance company is starting to make moves yep. to potentially set you up for a cutoff, to cut you off disability, you want to make sure that any conversations you have with the adjuster, confirm them in writing. Okay, If Send. it ain't writing, it didn't exist, right exactly. as far as that's concerned. You got it, exactly. And make sure you, you, you activate the, the um, uh, what do you call it, the uh, receipt. You know, like when you know that the person that's is... in has been read? Yeah, the yeah, red yeah, receipt, yeah, yeah. exactly. So do you know that the adjuster has actually clicked on yeah. it and read the email? Yeah. Number three... Last one that I'll tell you right now before we move on, don't accept everything the adjuster says without question. So for example, something very common, the adjuster may want you to go to a clinic that the insurance company Mm -hmm. is funding, right? They'll want you to stop going to your psychologist or stop going to your chiropractor or whatever it is. They want you to go. Exactly. Well, why are they telling you to go to that clinic? What do they have to What's gain? What's their interest? What's their interest, exactly. Yeah. So don't, don't assume that you have to do everything the insurance company says. Some things you have to do. Yeah. For example, if they want you to see one of their doctors through the course of you, know, you yeah, being a disability, it. It, the, the, the policy probably provides that they have a right to send you to one of their doctors. Mm-hmm. But be very careful of simply taking everything they say at face value. You have to question it. And here's how you do it. Very simple. You don't even have to call me. If you have a problem with something that the adjuster is asking you to do, ask the adjuster to show you where in the LTD policy it says that you have to do that. Because remember, anything the adjuster does with respect to your policy is governed by that policy, that right. document, the contract. Tell the adjuster, I want to see, point me to the provision or the section in the policy that gives you the right to force
0: me or ask me to do X, Y, and Z. Nice. And if they can't show that to you, well move then- Move on. Move on, exactly one 990 9646 is that number. Keep it as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca for email. Lots more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. On the way, Global News Radio. Anytime you want to call Savan, get a hold of uh, him or the team, uh, in that matter, in that regard, one There is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And early January, looking forward to this. We're already working on it. In your corner, a 30-minute condensed version of what we cover on this radio show will be on Global TV January 2019 at 8.30 on Sunday morning. Looking forward to that email. I mentioned the address several times. They're starting to come in. We'll get to one. This from Daniel says, I've uh, had my long-term disability benefits cut off last month because the insurer says that they have surveillance of me going to fish over the summer. But I didn't do any fishing, and I only went because my wife thought that it would be helpful for me to get out of the house. So I joined her and a few close friends for an afternoon. I got a lot of anxiety and I've been depressed for a long time. Last year, I also had a bike accident when another car hit me from the back and I flew onto the pavement. I broke my right knee, had three ribs. I haven't uh, worked since that time, Savan. I don't know what to do. I have no money coming in and my wife works two jobs, but we still can't cover all the bills. Okay, Daniel, This is, so there's a few issues here uh,
1: that I'm going to unpack. Number one. Uh, with your long term disability insurer, you said that they've cut you off last month because they did surveillance, surveillance. that showed you go fishing, yes. but you actually didn't do any fishing. You just went. So, this is very common, John, to see insurance companies utilize uh, private investigators mm-hmm. to trail people. And, and they have a right to do so within certain restrictions, uh, certain parameters. They can't do, it. for example, the investigators can't actually Make contact, contact yep. you exactly. So, there's restrictions. But, you know, we do see, in fact, a lot of insurance companies. Uh, get the surveillance, and even though the surveillance doesn't show anything, or in some instances, the, ins- the surveillance actually proves that the person is not doing what, what the alleg- insurance company is alleging, insurance companies, regardless, use the surveillance in itself as a tool to intimidate the individual. Right. right, Because think about it, if you are being surveilled, suddenly you're being shown the surveillance, and somebody says, aha, see, you did that. Even if you didn't do that, the mere fact that you were surveilled is a psychological hit. Okay? Yeah. It, it, it's very, very powerful. Don't be alarmed by it. Okay? This happens quite often when insurance companies do surveillance. And I'll tell you, I myself, having worked for insurance companies in the past, I myself have ordered surveillance on people on behalf of the insurance company. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of situations out there, cases that I've had, the surveillance showed nothing. And I had to tell my client that this surveillance showed nothing. So don't simply think that because the insurance company cut you off, Daniel, because of what they say that you did and you didn't do, don't think you have no options. We can challenge the insurance company. We can actually go after them here, I would even say for extra contractual damages. So not only are we going to say mm-hmm. that they have to put you back on claim, in other words, They cut you off. We're going to force them to put you back on claim or at least resolve the claim in its entirety. Mm -hmm. But I think we have an argument here to say that they had used the surveillance in bad faith. They're saying you did something you did not, and they're using that again to intimidate you. So I think we can go after them. Now, you had also mentioned that you had this bike accident last year when you were hit by a car. So that is also very important because now you have a potential claim a legal claim for compensation for your injuries, which are severe, from the driver who hits you. Right. Very, very important because you may be entitled to accident benefits from your own insurance company or from that driver's insurance company. Okay. Again, there are a lot of issues here to unpack. My point is this, Daniel, we should definitely speak off air because we're dealing with multiple insurance companies. There are multiple issues here that will affect you and your family, and you want to make sure you get this information as early as you can so you can make the right decisions, so you and your family can make the right decisions on how to deal with these insurance companies. And you want to go to a lawyer that deals both with car accidents and long-term disability. Right. Many lawyers out there will advertise that they deal car accidents, slip and falls, long-term disability. You have to be careful. You have to do your due diligence. You want to go to someone, to a team, a team of lawyers, a law firm that actually knows what they're doing in both of these areas of law. And that's the kind of stuff that we do every day at the firm, at my firm.
0: Daniel, you had the email, obviously, the phone number to follow up. Please do, one 888 990 9646 so back to the the topic of surveillance with the insurance company: Is there boundaries? Is there is it? Can they go to invasion of privacy levels? Where does that? Uh, where no, they that?
1: they can. So they can follow you into a store. Okay. They, they can they can go into your home. They can go on private property, uh, and by that I mean your private property. Uh, you know, they certainly cannot engage you. Uh, there have been cases out there. Uh, th- that my former firm, where, where I was at, defending. Uh, so so I, I so before we started the firm with Lior, I was actually at a large defense firm, okay. and there was a, there was a big case years and years ago, uh, where the private investigator actually made contact with the plaintiff, Oops. and uh, the, the the plaintiff worked in a in a nightclub. I'm going to leave it at that, and the investigator actually made contact. Okay, again, we'll leave it at that, John. I can just tell you that that came before the (laughs) the judge uh, who uh, took a very, very harsh um, line against the defense firm and chastised them. My firm, the firm that I used to work for for, and the insurance company. So, no, insurance companies can't do whatever they want, but you do have to understand that as soon as you start an injury claim or a disability claim – the insurance company could potentially hire sure. private investigators to survey you. They won't do it a lot. It's very expensive for them to do it remember it's, it, it bleeds them of money yep, they don't like it that. can cost them a thousand bucks even fifteen hundred bucks a day to do this, and oftentimes they get nothing from it. so they're not just going to jump and do it uh, jump into it. but you do have to assume that if you start one of those claims, your life will come under a
0: microscope That's okay. just the reality. We'll move on and get to another email after a break. It's one 990 9646 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca through email. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Global News Radio. one 990 9646 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You will catch on your television set. In your corner, early January 2019, we are taking the show to television for 30 minutes on global TV. That is going to be happening Sundays at 8.30 in the morning. Lauren, going to get to your email. Uh, Lauren says, my best friend who is in her early 30s was in an accident a few years ago and injured her back pretty badly. She needed several surgeries, but eventually she got back to work as a graphic designer. The problem is that she's in a lot of pain and takes a lot of meds. Uh, She takes a lot of meds. She applied for long-term disability and got denial letter a few days ago. The insurance company says that she's not compliant with taking all the medications her doctor says that she needs, but some of them are making her even more sick. Should she go to a different doctor? Should she appeal the denial? Well, we know the answer to that one, but should she go to a different doctor at least? So that's a good question. I mean, I'm very um, careful
1: when I answer that kind of a question. And what do you do when the doctor you are going to, whether it's your family doctor or a specialist, is telling you to do something by way of treatment, whether it's medications or physical therapy or psychological therapy, and you feel that that treatment is actually working against you. You're not reacting well to it. I think that the first thing you should do is actually raise that with that treating physician. You should state this is the problem. And, you know, in my experience, the majority of doctors out there will listen to you and then prescribe something else. They're not going to simply tell you you have to take something that is making you ill. Uh, But, you know, be that as it may, the problem is that insurance companies will then seize on that because what they're going to look at when they see the records from this doctor is, they're going to see a notation that says prescribed X and patient refused to take X. Sometimes there will not be an explanation as to why, unfortunately. And, and we can deal with that. I can certainly deal with the insurance company. Sometimes the insurance company just doesn't know that, in fact, that medication was making your friend ill, uh, right. uh, Lauren. So so we we can deal with that. Sometimes insurance companies will use that as an excuse yep. to deny a claim. And so that leads me to the second point. Should she appeal the denial? Well, again, you know my thoughts about appeals. Do not appeal anything. Lauren, your friend should have a chat with me uh, or a member of my team. We can tell her what she can do. The best course of action in this kind of situation is dealing with the insurance company directly by way of a legal claim. By starting a legal claim against the insurance company, we are now taking the power out of the adjuster's hands, out of the insurance company's hands, and putting it in the legal framework. Uh, We're initiating a legal process that then forces the insurance company to sort of shift gears. Remember, when we're starting a legal claim for compensation for disability, once we do that and serve that on the insurance company, internally within the insurance company, that claim now passes to a different department. It goes to an adjuster whose responsibility uh, and and goal and objective really is to shut down this claim, to resolve it. Mm And at the same time, there is a defense lawyer that's assigned someone like myself, the way I used to work for insurance companies. And again, that defense lawyer's job is to defend the claim, but also try and resolve it as quickly as possible for the least amount of money as possible. And so, you know, situations like this, John, where I've seen insurance companies deny claims because they're saying that the person is noncompliant. Yep. I have never come across an individual who was legitimately sick who simply decided to be non-compliant for the sake of being non-compliant because they were difficult. There's always a reason why a person doesn't take certain medications or doesn't do certain treatments. And usually, in the vast majority of instances, it's because that medication or treatments are making the person worse. So, Lauren, your friend should have a chat with us. I think she should have a chat with her doctor, if she hasn't already, about perhaps taking different medications. And, uh, yeah, we can resolve that issue with the insurance company, I think, fairly quickly here.
0: Lauren, get her to follow up. Uh, indeed, one 888 You know, sometimes uh, disabled or in- in- injured individuals are told they have to go for an IME because we need more acronyms in life. Um, <laughs> you know, what is it? And should they know about them? What do they have to do? IME. IME stands for Independent Medical
1: Assessment. Ah. Now, that's, uh, it's, it's an ironic title because the first word of that three-word title is independent. And I have myself, again, on behalf of insurance companies in the past, asked plaintiffs and claimants to go to these IMEs. And of course, who hired these doctors to actually conduct these IMEs, these assessments? I hired them. The insurance company hired them. So if the insurance company hired these doctors to assess these claimants, how can these doctors actually be independent? Now, I'm not casting you know, a shadow on every doctor that works for insurance companies. I know doctors, in fact, doctors that I go to, to help my clients' cases, and they do work both for insurance companies as well as for individuals. Unfortunately, though, there are many doctors out there who simply do the insurance company's bidding. And no matter how disabled or injured the individual is, Because the insurance company is the one, is the entity that pays them, they will want to please the insurance company, and so they will minimize the impairments. They will minimize and question the person's credibility who's reporting these impairments, pains, and limitations to them. So, you know, insurance companies use these IMEs to poke holes in the plaintiff's case. Here's what you need to do if you are told to go to an IME. You need to be as truthful as you can. I mean, that goes without saying. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Do not be combative. Because I'm telling you, if you're combative with this doctor you're supposed to go see for the insurance company, that's going to get reflected in the insurance company's, uh, in, 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 the, in the insurance doctor's uh, report. Uh, follow instructions and see guidance from your lawyer before going, okay, if you have a lawyer. Yep. So if you're told to go to see a psychologist or a, ph- or a physician of some sort, make sure you speak with your lawyer about that doctor to understand what to expect. The other thing is this. After you go see that doctor, that doctor is going to generate a report that's going to recount everything that happened during the assessment and that doctor's opinions and conclusions. That report will go to the insurance company. Make sure that you or your lawyer asks for a copy of that report. You want to go through it. I'm telling you there's going to be inaccuracies. In almost every one of these reports I've ever seen, there are inaccuracies. Whether they're intentional or unintentional, there are inaccuracies which lead to distorted conclusions, by the insurance company's doctors. So you want to make sure that you go through them and note all of the inaccuracies. And yep. then you want to make sure, John, just last point, mm-hmm. that you give those reports to your treating physician yeah. so that they can comment on those. Because oftentimes, your treating doctors
0: are going to have different conclusions than the insurance company's doctors. The number one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. 990 9646 Reach out and keep that number to get a hold of Savannah's team. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. That is the email address we are going to after we take a short break on in the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Global News Radio. 1 990 9646. That is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca to get a hold of Savannah and his team. You can use that email address. Make that call anytime. Uh, Dana, next email up. Dana, here you go. A friend of mine told me about your show, and I thought I'd email you. My situation's a bit strange. I was injured when I was attacked at work a few months ago at a bank. I filed for WSIB, but I was denied. And when I applied for LTD, they said I wasn't disabled from working because WSIB denied me. I don't understand. I have nightmares about this event, and I can hardly get out of the house. I'm 49, and I I rarely go out. If I absolutely have to, that's the only time I do. I even Skype from home with my psychologist every week, and he says that I'm definitely, definitely unable to work. My husband wants me to appeal this decision, but I don't know if there is a point. What do you think? There's certainly no point in appealing, but I can tell you,
1: uh, Dana— that unfortunately you're not alone. I mean, fortunately and unfortunately. So right. for, fortunately because you need to understand that your case is not that dissimilar from many other cases that I have seen and continue to see. Unfortunately, because it's unfortunate, John, that insurance companies really abuse this this thing. That you know, I, I sometimes I, I, I'm I'm at a loss for words. Right. What they say is that because one entity said that you are not disabled or we're not going to accept your claim, therefore, we are not going to accept your claim. Yep. Those are two different things. WSAB is very different than LTD, just like CPP disability is different than LTD. These, these different bodies make decisions independently. Right. Uh, so I'll tell you right now, on the fact that you were denied by WSIB, and I don't know why they denied you, but the fact that you were denied means to me absolutely nothing. It makes complete sense given the event that you went through, uh, the trauma that you went through, that you would be unable to work. And the fact that your psychologist uh, supports you and reinforces that conclusion, in my mind, you have a legal claim. You have legal rights you can enforce against the insurance company. And again, we do this each and every day on behalf of individuals across the province, across the country really. Do not do what your husband's telling you, and he's doing it because he probably doesn't know any better. Do not appeal this decision because you are going to get denied. I have zero doubt about that. I can tell you that if we start a legal claim today against the insurance company with your psychologist's support, within a matter of months, we should be able to at least start the process of resolving your claim with your insurance company. Once You know, we put our foot down. Once we start that legal process, the insurance company is going to be on the defensive and that's where you want them, especially when you have a psychologist that is treating you, that is supporting you, that is saying that the insurance company is wrong.
0: I want to go back to what we were talking about before the break with the uh, medical examinations and the insurance company's doctor's What happens if your doctor says you're disabled and can't work, but then the insurance doctor says you're not disabled? Who will the insurance company listen to? I mean, what if they side with their own doctor instead of yours? What's your next step? Can you do anything about it? You can, absolutely. And you know, it's almost a certainty that the insurance company is going to side with their own doctor
1: because they've paid for that opinion. Sure. Uh, what I can tell you is that, irrespective of what their doctor says and, and oftentimes their doctors don 't even see you their doctors oftentimes don 't even assess you. they just look at your file and make these conclusions without even speaking with you and, and This is despite the fact that your own treating doctors have said repeatedly that you are disabled from working in contrast with the insurance doctor who sometimes haven't, you know has not even seen you right. uh, I, I can tell you right now that this is very, very common john and This is not an obstacle to resolving the claim. Despite the fact that insurance companies hire these doctors, pay them thousands of dollars to get these opinions, which are beneficial to them, once we start the legal claim process and we poke holes and we show that the insurance doctor's conclusions have no legs to stand on, they collapse. They collapse, they come to the table, and they try
0: to resolve the case with us. It happens,
1: I can tell you, all the time, just Mm -hmm. all the time without exception.
0: It just seems so silly that they're basing, you know, your denial or cutting you off on, you know, a half-hour visit with a doctor you've never seen. Meanwhile, you could be with your own team for the last eight years. But no, that doesn't mean anything. Our doctor, you know, in his thirty-minute assessment, that's the reason why it just seems silly.
1: You know, it, it seems silly, but it makes sense in the context of what we've been discussing, which is that insurance companies often look for any reason whatsoever, any excuse whatsoever, to cut you off or deny your claim. And if they can hire a doctor to give them the opinion they want, and they can latch on to it. And use that as the crutch, then they'll do it. Why not? Think about it, John. Let's let's zoom out for a second. Remember what we always say: it's a numbers game. Mm-hmm. If they do this to a hundred people, and ninety-eight people out of those a hundred walk away because they think that they can't stand up for their rights, it's a lot of coin. Oh, it's a lot of money the insurance company is keeping in their pockets.
0: We'll take a, a short break. We're going to uh, save some time for a couple of emails here at the end. So you want to reach out? Do so anytime. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. The number one triple eight. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's here on Global News Radio. 1-888-990-9646 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the number. Uh, I want to get to uh, an email. Jessica says, last year my best friend was in a car accident and she hired a paralegal that helped her get her benefits from the insurance company. I told my friend that she should call you about the claim uh, she has against the other driver who was charged for the accident. But she wants to stay put with her paralegal. My friend is 38 and works as a dental assistant. She's been back to work. Uh, she hasn't been back to work, rather, because of her concussion from the accident, which she is still getting treatment for. When should she uh, make the leap and, uh, and see a lawyer? Yes, should they? Yeah, gotcha, done. If you are with a paralegal, remember, paralegals
1: in Ontario have to be licensed, they have to be insured. You have to be very, very careful uh, to understand the limits of what yeah. a paralegal can do for you. They can handle your accident benefits claim, but they can't handle the other side of the claim, the tort, tort claim. claim. Yeah. So Jessica, in, in, in your friend's situation, to start a legal claim against a driver that was responsible for the accident, she has to go to a lawyer. Only a lawyer is allowed to represent her in that kind of a claim. And, and the problem is, John, is that many people stay with their paralegals, and that's okay but you have to be careful not to pass that two year mark because if more than two years have passed since the time of the accident, you won't be able to start that legal claim. And the other thing you have to be very careful of is that these these you know, paralegals out there who work independently will often end up working with a lawyer in a lot law firm right. and they're gonna send you to that lawyer not because that lawyer is good or that lawyer knows what they're doing or is the right lawyer for you but because they're getting something in return. I'm not saying that that's the case in every situation. But that paralegal, if they're going to refer your friend, Jessica, to a lawyer, most likely it's because they're going to get some kind of a referral fee. And, you know, we've had a lot of discussion in recent uh, weeks, months, and and a couple of years uh, with the law society and with the public as well about referral fees and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, when we deal with these kinds of claims, we have paralegals in our office. I mean, everything is in-house, we have paralegals, we have lawyers, we all deal with all of these claims in-house together so that everyone talks with each other. So Jessica, your friend has to be very, very careful that she lets you know that two-year time limit expire and she also has to be very careful not to simply drag out that claim, right? She can be with that paralegal for a couple of years and not get referred to that lawyer until the very last second and in the meantime, had she started a claim You know, within a year or within a month or within a week of the accident, maybe not wrapped up, but maybe it could have been already in advanced stages of resolution. So, again, it's your claim. Don't let the paralegal uh, dictate what what your rights are and and how you should proceed. And that's why I tell people out there, if you're in that situation, again, give me a call. I'm not going to tell you to leave that paralegal. That's not what I'm going to do. But I'm going to tell you when you should be starting the claim and what you're entitled to, what your family is entitled to as a result of the injuries you
0: suffered in the accident. The number one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. you know when it comes to documentation for LTD cases, uh, you know you mentioned that quite often people have a medical team. So how does the insurance company look upon information that comes from a medical doctor as opposed to chiropractor, uh, psychologist, paths, even for that matter.
1: You know, so I'm going to answer this in two ways. The insurance companies generally put a lot more stock in what a medical doctor mm-hmm. says. It's just the way it works. Yep. That's what the insurance companies see. It's very limited in that view. That said, I can tell you that I have seen my share of physicians who I think are working against their clients and their patients' best interests – uh, they're not really, uh, like I've, I've seen, for example, family doctors who don't refer their, their patients out for, uh, um, to specialists. Let's say you have someone who has PTSD, the doctor just gives them medication, doesn't refer them to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And I've seen chiropractors and psychologists, naturopaths, other people that have been effectively treating a lot of these individuals, and yet they don't get the respect from the insurance companies that they deserve. So the way that I like to approach these kinds of cases is I'll tell, you know, my client, look, it's good to have a mix. If you only have a doctor, that's okay. But it's better to have a mix, a mix of specialties. Yeah. It's better to the more people you have helping you, first of all, it's better for you in terms of your health, right? Because you have more people actually interested, having a vested interest in getting you better and on your feet. But it also allows you to argue that you've tried to mitigate, you've tried to do really literally everything, and all of these individuals, despite all the treatments, are still saying with a unified voice that you are disabled from working. I think that sends a very strong message to the insurance company, that you are in fact disabled from working. Good to have more
0: arrows in your quill, eh? Exactly. In, it's exactly forward. that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to one final email here from, uh, from Blake. He says, I was just denied my LTD claim because the insurance company says... That my disability is due to chronic pain and fibromyalgia, and these conditions are excluded, but that's just one reason why I'm disabled. I also had an injury to my back last year that caused me to have surgery on my spine, and my orthopedic surgeon says that this break is what's causing my inability to bend properly, do my job. Can the insurance company deny my benefits if my injury is the, uh, the reason I'm disabled?" John, this is a very interesting uh, email here from
1: Blake because we do have cases like this that come to us where the insurance company is denying the claim on the basis of an excluded condition. But in Blake's case, it's not that excluded condition that is the sole cause of the disability. It's a mix of the excluded condition and a non-excluded condition. There is case law out there. In other words, other legal cases that have gone before judges where judges have said where you have this concurrent situation, an excluded condition and a non-excluded condition, Mm -hmm. unless the policy specifically allows the insurance company to deny the claim, despite the fact that there is this mix, the insurance company will not be able to exclude the claim. So what I'm trying to tell you, or what I'm trying to tell our, our, our listeners, and make sure that it's clear, is that if you are denied on the basis of an exclusion, don't take that at face value, and don't assume That the insurance company is in fact entitled to deny you your claim. Oftentimes we can get around these exclusions. Remember something else, we talked about this before. If there is an ambiguity in the excluded provision, in in in, you know, interpreting the actual section in the insurance policy upon which the insurance company is, is, is relying, if there is a reasonable ambiguity, and we can argue that you're not excluded, Chances are, if we challenge the insurance company, they're going to come to, t- to the table, they're going to try and resolve your claim because they know that if this ever went to court, they have a good chance of losing the case. So don't assume if you are denied on the basis of an exclusion that you have no case. Give us a call, let us look at the exclusion, let us look at your situation, your medical documents, and we will tell you if you have a case or not. And if you don't have a case, we'll tell you that. Okay. Chances are, you probably have a case.
0: Good way to wrap it for this week. The number, one one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And a reminder once again, early uh, next year, January 2019, taking the show to TV in your corner will be on Global TV Sunday mornings at 8.30. So we're looking forward to that. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Global News Radio.